The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One-one pitch. Basketball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Making his triumphant return to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. We've got Heath Cummings here joining Chris Towers and Scott White on Friday, January 17th. And we're going to start, Heath. I mean, we can start with pleasantries. How are you doing? Fine. (laughs) Gosh. That's the that's the first thing he says after months away is a a very disinterested fine. Yeah, I guess we'd have it no other way, right? Right. Yeah, I'm I, I'm doing well. Things are are going okay. I've spent the last I don't know. I've been on this podcast. Uh, I haven't been on really very many podcasts at all. The last couple of weeks, just in a cave of baseball knowledge, just getting ready for the 2020 season. Good. Good. Just surrounded by baseballs, absorbing their energy. That's good. We're going to start off today's podcast with Heath making his triumphant return. One hitter. We're going to go through some players that Heath likes a little later, but right now, start off the podcast. Heath, give me one pitcher and one hitter that you like for 2020. I'll stay on brand and go with former Royal Mike Moustakis. You, can, you can't be anything but on brand. Starting pitcher, Jesus Lazardo. I think I was just a year too early on Lazardo last year. He's still an incredible prospect that was dominant in the 12 major league innings he threw last year. I, he's not going to throw 180 innings this year. Of course not. The current ADP I see right now is in the 12th round. And I do think there's a possibility he gives you 120 innings of like near ace level starter stuff. And I would like to have that on my roster in the 12th round. Mike Moustakis, you have to love the landing spot for him in Cincinnati, almost as good as where he was in Milwaukee. He is one of 15 players with at least 100 home runs over the last three seasons. He's the only one who's second base eligible going into this season. And he's one of only three that are outside of the top 100 in ADP right now. I look at Moustakis and like this is going to get laughed at. We'll get this out of the way. But you look at Moustakas over the last three years and Manny Machado over the last three years. On a per-game basis, I'm pretty sure Moustakas has actually been better. They've been pretty similar over the course of three years. And Machado's was worse last year. So I think there's a chance that uh, he should be drafted more like Machado than where he is. He was the number 11 second baseman in Roto Leagues last year. and pulling up Scott's ranking. Scott, you wouldn't happen to know where you have him ranked. Off the top of your head, would you? At, at third base or second? At, at third base, he's barely inside the top 20, which is partly just, it's just the condition of third stacked, base. Yeah. Uh, and at second base, I think, sure, he's in my top 12. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't, it, it doesn't sound like I'm as high on him as Heath is. I think he's, uh, you know, a pretty safe contributor, but not really a standout in an environment where there's so much power hitting to be had because he doesn't really bring much to the table other than power hitting. Even with, for having a low strikeout rate, he's such an extreme fly ball hitter that it doesn't translate to much in the way of batting average. So he's kind of a mid-tier guy for me, Moustakis. The Machado comparison is interesting because Machado is still being drafted uh, several rounds ahead of where... Mustakas is about 50 picks overall on Fantasy Pro's ADP right now. It's it's early, but Machado really hasn't slid as much as uh, his production since leaving Camden Yards probably deserves. There's a, still a lot of face value there. There's a lot of uh, hoping that he can get back to that level. 
I'm, I'm not 100% sure he will. I, I don't think there's a very good chance I'll draft any Manny Machado this season. I'm trying to verify he's claimed that Moustakis has been better on a per-game basis over the past three years, and I am pretty sure that's not true because Moustakis, Moustakis was better than him last year, but the previous two years, Machado was significantly better in, in terms of head-to-head points per game. Yeah, I just see that. I mean, he's played, what, 30 more games. They have the same number of home runs. He has 20 more RBI. They've got a similar OPS. So I, I, don't, I wasn't looking at fantasy points, but they have been relatively similar when you total up the last three years. That's fair. I, I, I think that says to me more about uh, Machado than well, Moustakas. Like another, another second baseman that I look at 80, like on fantasy pros, Mike Moustakas is not listed at second base. He would be the 15th second baseman off the mm-hmm. board yeah. on that side by ADP, average ADP. Um. I'd rather have Mike Moustakas than DJ LeMayhew this year. Uh, I think I'd rather have LeMayhew, but I would imagine LeMayhew being four or five rounds earlier than him. It's more likely I'll have Moustakas. I'm probably not going to be drafting LeMayhew at his price either. Well, I don't know. I mean, we're kind of getting... We're getting off track a little bit. We're getting off track a little bit here, but LeMay, he's going to be a contentious player, obviously a guy in his 30s who goes on to have a career season. You know, that's going to raise some eyebrows. But it was, you know, second round production basically from LeMay last year, and his ADP is like sixth round. To me, that's a pretty significant discount, especially since I buy, uh, you know, numbers like XWOBA, XBA. They they support what LeMay did last year. The track record, I understand, doesn't. But to me, that's an extreme enough discount for a guy who's shown MVP potential you know, just last year. He probably had a buzzer in his jersey. <laughs> and then Jesus Lazardo, just go over him real quick. One of the top prospects in baseball. He's Scott White's number three prospect. You can find that on CBSSports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Number three prospect heading into the, age, uh, into the 2020 season. He's a 22-year-old who's gotten up to the majors, uh, dealt with. It was all shoulder issues last year, right? I think it was a pretty major shoulder injury. Yeah. They were very, very cautious with it and then just brought him back for the end of the year. I, th- I think he struck – he struck out 21 in like 12 innings or something? 16 strikeouts in 12 innings, 16 strikeouts on uh, 46 batters faced. That's a a very healthy number, only three walks, only five hits allowed uh, in those 12 innings over six appearances. He's thrown – and he's still he, – Give me this will be his age twenty two season. Yeah. He's thrown 195 innings in the minor leagues. Two seven one or two five three ERA, one oh four whip, and two hundred and thirty four strikeouts on hundred and ninety five innings. I mean, he could be if he stays healthy, he could be one we talked about him in a couple of years as one of the top ten starting pitchers in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I have a hard time finding anything negative to say about Jesus Lizardo's skill set. Um, and obviously he appears more than ready for a major league opportunity. It's, it's interesting to me that he, in traditional prospect rankings, you know, Chris, you said I have him third overall, that obviously makes him the top pitcher in my prospect rankings, but in traditional rankings, he's usually only like third or fourth among pitchers. And, you know, the ones he's ranked behind are great as well, but a guy who already has a rotation spot and just no discernible flaws that I can see. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a lot of shares of Lazardo too, I think. The flawless Jesus Lazardo, And the A's actually could have a very uh, interesting starting pitching staff. Uh, you know, two of the top left-handed pitching prospects in baseball in, in Jesus Lazardo and A.J. Puck, uh, likely. I don't know if Puck's going to be in the rotation to start the season, but he was another guy who was coming back from Tommy John surgery uh, last season but did appear in the majors and showed very yeah. interesting stuff. He appears to have the inside track, yeah, and he has huge strikeout potential. Just not as not as refined as Luzardo. He's going to struggle with walks, yeah. but I'm just, uh, I'm, just gonna, I'm just going to draft A's pitchers and Mariners hitters after early research. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. I mean, if you can just <clears throat> play like April of last year's Mariners yeah. hitters, you'd win every league. Yep. All right, let, speaking of the uh, American League West, I don't know if you guys have heard. I know you talked about it a little bit on Wednesday's <laughs> podcast, but the Houston Astros 
are embroiled in quite a scandal. And it, uh, it seemed to, you know, with Jeff Luno and, uh, and AJ Hinch getting fired earlier in the week, it seemed like things might've been dying down. And then Twitter exploded yesterday with, uh, with all kinds of sort of strange allegations from, you know, spurious places and, you know, a lot of Microsoft (laughs) paint, but basically the, the, the crux of it is the Astros have now been accused of using electronic buzzers uh, yeah. during uh, specifically the 2017 season. It seems like most of the accusations against them revolve around that. And obviously, we've already seen Carlos Beltran uh, step down as the Mets manager yesterday. Sounds like it was a he was the, the, the spin is that he was pushing to be let go to, to walk away. And the Mets were kind of trying to hold on to him. Make of that what you will. But. This is, it's one of the biggest scandals baseball scene. It's certainly the biggest scandals baseball scene since the steroid uh, era of the late 90s and early 2000s. And I think we're starting to see the possibility of the fantasy industry starting to downgrade uh, the Astros a little bit as a result. And Scott, you wrote about this on CBSSports.com Thursday. Right. And, And the last podcast earlier this week, Adam... Uh, Matt Snyder and I talked about it and this was before the the latest allegation and I mean this was insanity what happened on Twitter yesterday the the baseball Twitter world collectively lost its mind they were buying into every conspiracy theory being thrown out there the buzzer accusation it like this isn't the first time it was brought up I mean that's that's a rumor that's floated around for a while now but the person who tweeted it out that really set Twitter off yesterday was uh, the supposed niece of Carlos Beltran. I've seen from reporters that the Beltran family. Yeah, they've denied. Not, say, they deny she's a niece. Uh, Gary Sheffield Jr. was <laughs> tweeting that that's a burner account for a former player. So nobody really knows who this person is that was tweeting this. She claimed to have pictures of of this but she also said she was saving them for a rainy day scott brocious's uh, son also got involved with some with some allegations but we won't go into that but it was it yeah. was a banner day yeah. for the uh for so, the supposed offspring and relations of baseball players but, from our childhood. there were a couple of images in particular that were really feeding the conspiracy theories here one was you know cl- clearly ridiculous it was it was josh reddick in an interview after the celebration, there was a piece of what looked like gold tape stuck to his shoulder and it was folded in a way that people were claiming there was a wire underneath it. But it was, you know, you you, you see a side by side shot of the confetti falling from yeah. that celebration. It's clearly just a piece of confetti. So that one. I That's think what they want you to right think, off. Scott. That's what they want you to think. Why do you think they chose that specific color? For the, the more, the more, because it's an Astros color. The more concerning one is unlikely uh, story. Um, that Jose Altuve, uh, his refusal to have his jersey ripped off <laughs> after a walk-off home run, supposedly because he was shy. And- I, I love that. That's the. I love that. That's the. Uh, the explanation. Scott Boris comes out and says it, there was nothing going on. He just doesn't like being shirtless in public. He's just. He's a shy, mild manner. I believe that was the term, shy and mild mannered. And yeah. he doesn't like to have and, his jersey taken off. Yeah, well, and his, he got in trouble with his wife last time or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. But like to me that's pretty suspicious. But at the same time, the investigation that already happened covered wearable electronic devices. They looked into that and found no evidence of that. The so absence think- of evidence is not the evidence of absence. The, I, well, that's true, but I, I think the only way anybody's getting suspended out of this is if a new investigation is opened. And I think for a new investigation to open, there would have to be a whistleblower on the level of Mike Fires and not Carlos Beltran's supposed niece. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm thinking nothing happens from this unless somebody else comes forward. But based on what we've heard so far, it's just a lot of a lot of commotion. And my stance uh, from the other day that there's really no reason to downgrade the upper level players. Uh, that still holds. I, I need Heath's thoughts. Cause I know Heath is uh, a little, a little more conspiracy minded than Scott. Do you think the Astros are putting something in the water 
that's making their hitters better? I think the Astros are probably the biggest cheaters in baseball, but make no mistake, all teams in baseball are cheaters. I don't like this is this whole thing hasn't moved me quite as much as it seems to have moved Twitter or lots of baseball purists because we've done this for the entirety of baseball. There's mm. been cheating in a variety of different ways. It's part of the game. Um, it should not like everyone's been stealing signs. I think that's extraordinary, extraordinarily unfair. There is no way the Baltimore Orioles are cheating. <laughs> okay, maybe the Orioles are not cheating, but you you know what I mean. Like, yeah, it just ha- hasn't really bothered me that much. I would say that, like, if you look at what happened to Jose Bautista after they finally got rid of the man in white waving the towel in Toronto, <laughs> you might have to consider how what if I'm a little bit worried that the Astros hitters won't be quite as good. So here's uh here's where the the actual discussion works for fantasy. Uh, you know, we're going to be drafting these guys over the next couple of months. And this is this was the the number three offense and run scored in the American League last season. Although I think once you account for the fact that, you know, George Springer and, and Carlos Correa and some other guys miss a significant amount of time. You know, I don't think anybody would look at you askance if you said this was the best offense in baseball last season. I believe they had six hitters uh, with an OPS over 875. In their mm-hmm. everyday uh, lineup, maybe seven. Now that I'm looking at it, this was an absurdly stacked team, and you know, for fantasy, they're going to be really important. I, I did. A, I was at the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association conference in Vegas over the last couple of days, and I took part in a uh, a draft that's still going on, but we're through 15 rounds, and I end up drafting four Astros hitters in my first 15 picks, and it just yep. kind of felt like. All of them at the point that I was sitting at just felt like good values. You got Alex Bregman at, at the in the first round with the 10th overall pick in a 14-team league. George Springer, 47th overall. Carlos Correa at 94th. And then I grabbed Kyle Tucker with my 15th round pick at 219 overall. And it yeah. just it feels like, you know, especially in the immediate aftermath, for those of you who might have early drafts or if you're playing on NFBC, um, you know, there might be some value with the Astros. Now, here's some of the, the other notable Astros and where they were drafted. Jose Altuve at 23. Jordan Alvarez at 54. Important to remember, he's a he's going to be a utility or DH only uh, player, I think, in most leagues. Michael Brantley at 114 and Yuli Gurriel at 128. And it's just going through all of those. Taking them on face value, where what they did last season, all of those pretty much feel like good values. Like Alex Bregman, yeah. even at well, 10, they, like it's I, hard to be a value at 10, but. I actually went through, uh, at least for the five biggest Astros hitters, Altuve, Bregman. Uh, I'm not listing them off in order here, but Bregman, Altuve, uh, Jordan Alvarez, Carlos Correa, and George Springer uh, from that draft. They all went lower than early ADP. I think the biggest was Jordan Alvarez went 16 spots lower Mm -hmm. than early ADP. And this is a draft conducted by the most level-headed among us, supposedly, right? Like people in fantasy baseball analysis. And, uh, and so they, they universally dropped. And that was before even the, the Twitter storm of yesterday with uh, all the buzzer talk. So uh, I, I think the average person um, just the, just the, just the way people are responding to this emotionally, uh, they are not going to like the taste in their mouth that they get from drafting Astros players. And you could get great values for them. I, for some of those hitters, you took three of the five hitters I just listed, right, Chris? Yeah. So we don't even know how, what kind of bleeding there would have been. You, you kind of put a stop to the bleeding. So we didn't even get a chance to see how it would fully play out, you know? And it's, it's worth noting, like there are at least for some of them, practical reasons why they might have fallen. Like Carlos Correa just has not been able to stay healthy. He doesn't run anymore. So, you know, you really do need him to hit really, really well, uh, especially given those injury concerns. George Springer coming off a a massive breakout season, but also, you know, I think, did he even play 120 games last season? He had 39 homers in like 110 games. Um, I thought he got to 120, but I'll I'll check real quick. But he's he's another guy who's missed a significant amount of time. Uh, you know, Jose Altuve probably not going to steal bases like we've seen in the past. So his he's another guy who the mm-hmm. bat need to stick. And if the 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 super juiced fun ball isn't quite there anymore, maybe the the power comes back down to earth. Jordan Alvarez one year wonder DH only. 
Like you can you can come up with explanations for for each guy falling a little bit, but but this was this was falling compared to those yeah those those concerns were already, were already baked in from early mock drafts. Heath, so yeah, where are you on these guys? Um, prob- sounds like I'm a little cautious about the Astros being worse than they were last year. And also at the same time, not as cautious as what ADP is going to suggest. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. I, I, and, and Scott, you, you basically wrote that you're not discounting them at all. Yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're going to trust in MLB's findings, then supposedly the che- the sign stealing stopped at some point in the 2018 season because they deemed it to be no longer effective. And I mean, it kind of reminds me of what we've seen with, from the PED users over the years, yeah. basically since the testing and, and the suspensions have started for that. In uh, all but a few exceptions, like it, it's not like they were magically changed after they came back from the PED suspension. You know, it's not like they were they were worse in a notable way. In fact, a lot of guys you may not even remember had PED suspensions because they've gone on to have the best years of their careers since then. Nelson Cruz, Yasmani Grandal, yeah. uh, Starling Marte. Legitimately did forget Yasmani Grandal was suspended. But um, also, Mike Fires was on the Astros in 2016 and 2017. And everybody was like, yeah, cool, we were doing it then. But we stopped it in the year after he left. Yeah, no, I mean... The investigation could have missed things. I I think that's certainly plausible. Well, yeah, I mean, but, put... but the point I was building up to is in a in a in a game with as many variables as baseball has, and as many things can that can go wrong, and even with the system itself, that all the things that could go wrong. Like, how much of an advantage does the cheating give you? I think pitch by pitch, at bat by a bat you could definitely detect it. And in a seven game, a, a series that went to seven games, like against the Dodgers, it may have very well changed the outcome. But I think over 162 games on an individual level, you're just not going to notice that big of a difference. And like the only player whose stats stand out from that 2017 season is like, whoa, what was going on there is Marwin Gonzalez. Like, you know, every, everybody's been, uh, if anything, as good or better since then better just because, you know, they were young back then and they've gotten more experience, gotten better. I think it's specifically Alex Bregman gotten better. And as cheating. Matt Snyder pointed out, even if you're focusing on last year, like the home away, the home away splits for these players. Sure. Some players were better at home than away. Some players were better away than at home. There's not really like a clear, uh, there's a clear reason to believe that, uh, we're going to see a significant drop off in production. All right, let's move on to some news and notes. We'll also get to a bunch of your emails, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com a little later on the show, but as always, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com if you want us to read your email on the show. And this is a good time of the year to send in your emails because the volume is a little lower and you're more likely to uh, to get a response on the air. So send them in. We've got some news and notes. Nothing really major uh, has happened over the last couple of days outside of everybody's trying to let the uh, the sign stealing. But you guys covered the biggest stuff in the most recent podcast. But this signing I, I, I'm interested in. Drew Smiley signed with the Giants on a one-year contract. Drew Smiley uh, was absolutely awful last season, but the biggest issue for him, aside from staying healthy, which has been an issue his entire career, uh, he was he really struggled with home runs, 2.53 per nine, but actually had a pretty healthy strikeout rate. So, you know, playing in San Francisco, he could be someone who emerges as a, you know, every year there's, there's one or two guys on the giants who emerge as a useful fantasy option. I think he could be it, but you know, he might also be someone you can get with your last round pick in an NL only draft. So not someone you really need to worry about too much in mixed leagues until he shows it. Any interest in him or am I alone on that? It's it's been a long time since I've cared about Drew Smiley, and he's bounced around a lot since then. I'm I, I have almost no interest. Fair, fair, and also worth noting the Giants are moving the fences in uh, in Oracle Park. I believe mostly in center and uh, right center, right, right and right center. Yeah, so it, it could make uh, their home field advantage for pitchers go away a little more, although. 
you know, you've still got other environmental factors. It's very yeah. windy there. I, I would still think it plays like a pitcher's park. You're not going to see a giant yeah. change. I, I would assume so. But Pun Oracle Park and Marlins Park were the two most extreme pitcher's parks, and they're both moving in the fences. And this I is the Marlins second time park. the Marlins are moving the pe- fences yeah. in. And I think they're doing it all the way around, right? I think so. So they'll both probably still be pitcher's parks, but hopefully not the outliers they once were. Yep. Uh, some of the other small news and notes. Braves signed to Danny Hatchavaria to one-year contract. The Phillies outrighted Odubel Herrera to AAA. He was designated for assignment. I think it's likely we've seen the last of Odubel Herrera with the Phillies. It doesn't seem like uh, they want him around, but nobody claimed him, so... I'm not sure there's going to be a role for him in 2020. And then Ryan Zimmerman expects to return to the Nationals at some point. Uh, But like I said, not too much news over the last few days worth going over. So let's get back to the players Heath likes. And we got two of them earlier, Mike Moustakis and Jesus Lazardo. Who else do you like, Heath? Let's get another couple of hitters out here. It turns out that I like outfielders available late. I'm not yeah. sure I'm going to take any outfielders in the first 10 rounds because there's, I could have made a list of 10 guys that are available after the first 12 rounds that I'd have been fine with as starting outfielders, starting with Mitch Hanniger, whose current ADP is 178. That's the end of the 15th round in a 12-team league. He was bad last year. He was hurt last year, but he was bad in an uncharacteristic way. I still expect him to be the best hitter on the Mariners and hit in the middle of the order and probably be a top 30 outfielder, top 35 outfielder, depending on how many games he plays. And that should not be available in the end of the 15th round. Yeah, Mitch Hanniger coming off a season where he played 63 games, hit 15 homers, but had just a 220 batting average. Uh, struck out a lot, a lot more than we've ever seen from him, 81 times in 63 games. This is a guy who, in the first three, you know, first three partial seasons at least, uh, had never struck out more than once per game. So that was a big drop off for him and he was someone who was you know being drafted as a top 15 outfielder this time last year so he's fallen off quite a bit in the eyes of the industry being drafted in early adp as the 46th outfielder right now uh right around 180 overall scott how do you feel about mitch hanniger uh i'm i'm fine with him where he's going i could certainly see a bounce back you know he missed so much time because of his health issue that we don't need to get into, but I don't think it's going to affect him anymore. What was the health issue? Um, well, I, we weren't going to get into it, but if, if we must, it was a ruptured testicle. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, um, so that's anyway, no fun. Uh, I think he's going to be a brave and not a mariner. And, uh, then you'll like him more. <laughs> I it would be a bad. I mean that, that, that there, but I didn't know where I was going with it. I think they're going to trade for Hanniger and Kyle Seeger. That's my bold prediction, if I may make one here okay. on January seventeenth. You are not an Austin Riley fan, I guess. I just don't think he's ready. You're I mean, still you're still smarting about how mad everyone was when you when you said to sell high on him. Well. No, I mean, he he made me look good in the end, right? But but you're still holding it against him because everyone was so mean to you. <laughs> Heath, what about another outfielder you like in that same range? Yeah, right in that same range. It's Andrew McCutcheon, whose average draft position is 210th. And I understand as an ageist myself why people would be concerned about Andrew McCutcheon at 33 years old coming, coming off, off of an injury so. year. But you look at what he was doing. He's going to lead off for the Phillies. They're going to be one of the best offenses in baseball. If he plays 150 games... He's going to score 100 runs. He's going to hit 25 home runs. I, I just think Andrew McCutcheon is going to be a very solid starting outfielder in any format and probably a good starting outfielder in points formats. Yeah, appeared in 59 games last season before tearing his ACL. Hit 256, and that's where he's been uh, three of the last four seasons. It's not quite a Chris Davis level of consistency, but 256, 279, 255, 256, so... You can feel fairly confident that at this point in his career, Andrew McCutcheon is not going to help you in batting average. But before last season, when he had 10 homers in in 59 games, he had hit at least 20 homers in every season since 2010. He was well on his way last year. Uh, And like you said, he's going to score a lot of runs in that line. And he strikes strikes me as a points league specialist at this stage of his career. Obviously doesn't run anymore. Doesn't look like he's helping batting average anymore. Gets on base a lot. So... You know, as long as he stays healthy, um, I think I think it's 
similar in terms of risk reward to like a Shinsu Chu who seems to be underrated every year. Maybe Andrew McCutcheon's now at, at that point in his career. Does That's that fair. seem reasonable, Heath? I it I think the difference I would say is I expect that Andrew McCutcheon is going to score more runs, have more runs produced than Shinsu Chu. And like I know that he was hurt last year, but before that he had played 153 games in like nine of his last 10 seasons. So I feel a little more confident in Andrew McCutcheon being there for me all season. So I, a rich man Shinsu Chu, sure. I'm I'm, I'm going to tee you guys up on Heath's next pitcher, and then I'm going to go stand up and try to turn the light on because I'm in the podcast studio in our uh, Midtown office in New York City, and uh, I guess the lights are motion activated, and so they You're not just moving went enough. Out. I I'm not moving enough, but I did just stand up and wave. Uh, and it didn't turn on, but there are people outside and there's a window, so I don't want to just keep waving until it turns on. So I'm yes. going to get up, and you guys can talk about Heath's next player he likes, who is starting pitcher Blake Snell. Yeah, it's shocking that I like Blake Snell. Um, I think seem to remember last year that he was a consensus, like, top eight or nine starting pitcher. I had him a little bit higher, around five. He had finished the year before at, what, number three or number four? Mm-hmm. And he got hurt last year. He wasn't quite as good. His He was almost as unlucky as he was lucky the year before. And now he's not being drafted as a top 10 starting pitcher. He is behind guys like Jack Flaherty and Shane Bieber, who I don't want to say anything bad about Jack Flaherty or Shane Bieber, but there is no way on earth I would draft either of them over Blake Snell. It really comes down to durability. I, I definitely would take them over Snell. I mean, they're both proven... 200 innings guys even and even in a Cy Young season Snell had issues pitching um he didn't go deep into games yeah he didn't go deep into games which made it kind of surprising he won as many games as he did I'm sure if he didn't have that sub two ERA and he shouldn't have had a sub two ERA I mean obviously that was uh, the good luck Keith was referring to that he had that year it should have been closer to three um that he wouldn't have won those 21 games. And then we would have seen that season in a very different light. Uh, Flaherty and especially Bieber. I mean, Bieber was going seven, eight innings consistently. Uh, Snell. I, I just don't assuming, assuming the injury is, you know, and let's it, assume he stays healthy. Yeah. Let's give him a pass for what he was dealing. It was like a foot issue, right? No, it was, a, last year. it was an elbow issue, but it wasn't okay. like a structural issue. He had loose bodies and was dealing with discomfort in the middle of the season. Okay. Okay. But it wasn't let's like a, a ligament. He stays yeah. healthy. When he was healthy last year, he was rarely going six innings. And even in the Cy Young season, like I said, he was rarely going seven. So, I, I mean, he's just not handling that ace workload. I think inning for inning, he is going to be an ace, but there are enough that I feel more confident are going to give you that kind of workload that I'm, I'm fine pushing them out of my top 15. Yeah, I will say, um, you know, in that draft that I did the other day, he went as the number 11 pitcher off the board behind, right behind Shane Beaver, three picks, 35th overall. Uh, but he went behind Luis Castillo also. And I think that's an interesting one because a lot of the concerns that you just laid out or Blake Snell have also been there for Luis Castillo. He's not have someone. Yeah, he have averaged they? less than five than six innings per start last season. He was well below that in 2018. You know, he yeah, made 30... 190.2. I mean, right, but six that's... innings per start is a high average. Sure, but Blake Snell's 2018. He made mm-hmm. 31 starts and went 180 innings. Last year, Luis Castillo went 190 innings in 32 starts. So basically, okay. he averaged he he had one more start and four more innings. Uh, mm-hmm. on that pace so it it's basically the same thing and then you know castillo's 2018 uh he had a 170 innings and 31 innings, so way fewer innings uh he's had similar issues uh with his era that blake snell did last year but he's never had that elite season so i would yeah. much rather take blake snell coming off of the disappointing season I, uh, I think what really st- like if luis castillo can get the walks under control and they were a lot better in the second half then he basically dominates in all the facets you want a pitcher to dominate in. Swinging strike rate last year, he was top five. But ground so ball Blake rate, Snell. I think he was second. Yeah, no, I mean, Blake Smell misses 
he had the highest swing he's, strike he's rate. Beyond, what? I think he had the highest swinging strike rate among starters. Uh, well, he didn't qualify, sure. so it would take some cross-referencing. But it was it was very high. It was higher than Castillo. I was just referring among qualifiers. Yeah, I mean, Blake Snell is the better bat misser, but Luis Castillo is still an excellent top-of-the-line bat misser. And he's also top-of-the-line in terms of getting ground balls, which, of course, means avoiding home runs. And uh, he was... Yeah, I mean, I I think he's he just strikes me as safer as Blake Snell than Blake Snell. Even if Blake Snell, I would be willing to say he has more upside, but Lu- Castillo strikes me as safer. Luis Castillo is my new Jose Barrios this year, where I just feel like everybody is treating him like something that he's never been because we see these flashes where he looks so good, and then we well, just he was top we just five ignore the bad strike rate last year. Sure, but Blake Snell had a seventeen point seven percent swinging strike rate. Like Blake Snell. Most of the peripherals last season, especially when you adjust for the different contexts that they were pitching in, most of the peripherals suggest he was basically as good as he was in 2018 when, you know, I wasn't drafting Blake Snell at this time last year because I thought he was being overdrafted coming off the career season. But now coming off a down season, I'm with Heath. I think he's a great value at 39th overall. Now, speaking of guys that you didn't like that I did like last year and now you're with me. And you just talked about him, Jose Barrios. I noticed like his ADP is like 27th among starting pitchers. I think he finished 18th last year, which was a little bit higher than I had him ranked. Like he's a good value now, right? He, it's it's so tough to like he's lost the. Uh, nobody really looks at him as the upside guy anymore. He's kind of settled no. in as like a low strikeout, uh, dependable innings eater guy, which wasn't what yep. people thought he was going to become. Although. To toot my own horn, it was what the evidence always suggested was his most likely outcome. But I, now we've got multiple seasons of him just being kind of a pretty good strikeout guy, but not at all elite. A pretty good ERA guy, but not at all elite. Yeah. With I mean, he was worse last year than two years ago. Um, he had a better ERA. He, threw he had a much worse exit. He was 432 exit because he's just not a bat misser. And he's not a bat misser. He's a very good control pitcher, but it's not like he's a guy who's going to be great at preventing home runs. So it's it's mostly about eating innings at this point for Jose Barrios. And uh, I think part of it, too, is just there are a lot more high-end pitchers. There, there appear to be a lot more high-end pitchers now than there was at this time last year. Like, there there's no shortage of aces in the player pool heading into 2020. It's just when the aces are gone, there's not much of anything left. So you you have to you have to get your share of them. I but I think it's I would like to get a time machine, which first off, who wouldn't, and have the twenty sixteen Scott White argue twenty twenty Scott White with Jose Barrios versus Luis Castillo. And I yeah. think twenty I think twenty sixteen Scott White would be arguing for Jose Barrios because he's well, still sure, but I have more evidence now. And the, no, evidence, no. the evidence clearly but favors Castillo now. Based on their most recent recent two seasons. Now this is the now we're getting into all kinds of time dilations here. No, you you don't you don't think you don't think last year Scott White would be able to look at this year's evidence and and come to the conclusion. No, he, that okay, this year's so he's, Scott White he's saying he's saying that <laughs> you would have given Jose you, you would have given Jose Barrios more of an edge because of the innings that the the fact that he's proven to be an innings eater. I mean, and I, mean, and I agree only, with that. He only had 10 more innings than Castillo last year in the same number of starts. That's not nothing, but it's not enough when all the other evidence so strongly supports Castillo to, to side with Barrios. I think they're fairly close. But I think Heath and I are going to disagree more about his next starting pitcher who falls maybe 20 picks after Blake Snell and ADP, and I, I feel like that's a bit of a reach. Heath, who is it? It's Chris Paddock, and I think I was the anti-Chris Paddock guy coming into last year, and he had a a similar season to what I expected. Um, re- very good on a on a per inning basis, but he only threw 140 innings, so it, it was tough to have too much of an impact. But I like the innings concerns that I had coming into last year were largely because the guy has never thrown more than 90 innings in a season. Those innings concerns are a lot different when it's the guy's never thrown more than 140 innings in a season. Sure. 
And he threw those 140 innings and 26 starts. So I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable to think he could throw 180 this year. 180 wouldn't even be that big of a percentage increase. Yeah, I mean, he would have to go a little deeper in games and make 32 starts. Right. Yeah, I think his pace was like 170 something. So, and I wouldn't be surprised if he goes a little bit deeper into games. So I, I expect him to be a top 20 starting pitcher this year. Great control. He misses bats. And he's going to be able to throw more innings this year. I think I have him around 20th. He may be just outside of it, like 22nd or something like that. Um, I Yeah, I think overall, just I mean, just the innings increase is going to be better. And, and he has ace upside. He's kind of at the tail end of the ace class of pitchers. And there are some other like borderline aces after him. But I think the like really trustworthy, I feel confident is this guy, with this guy as my number one, if I draft him as that. I think... Paddock rounds out that group for me. And the reason I put him at the back end of it is it just seems like there's more that can go wrong for him than most of the others. He's a he's a fly ball pitcher. He's vulnerable to the long ball at a time where it's especially bad to be that. And he really doesn't have a third pitch. Uh, so I could see how I could see how on an inning per inning basis it gets a little worse for him next year. He actually had a 405 XFIP versus a 333 ERA this past year. Uh, and then there's some innings accumulation that still has to happen. So those are three kind of knocks against him. But it's it's knocks against him acknowledging that, yes, he is a high-end pitcher. It's just, you know, sorting out the high-end pitchers at that point. I, I am actually a little bit uh, baffled by Chris Paddock going where he is, which is 19th overall in, in this early ADP. Um, 19th at starting pitcher, excuse me, about. 58th overall in the mock draft that I did the other day. I think he went like 45th, um, you know, ahead of someone like Charlie Morton, who yes, has injury concerns, has age concerns, has had his own inning concerns, but that wasn't an issue last season. Mm-hmm. But Charlie Morton was considerably better. Yeah. Then no, I, I have, last I have more than that. Yeah. Uh, and then you, you even look at the ADP and he's going ahead, right ahead of Luis Severino, Noah Syndergaard and you Darvish. Now all three of those guys, have glaring red flags. Noah Syndergaard has had a lot of injury issues, although he actually stayed healthy. And did he make it to 200 innings? If not, he got right right there. Um, but the performance wasn't where we wanted it to be, although the right. the peripherals were actually pretty close to Chris Paddock. And we've seen Noah Syndergaard be an ace for a full season. Luis Severino... 97 and two-thirds yeah. innings for Syndergaard, but that was a career high. Yeah, and Luis Severino, we saw him be an ace two seasons in a row before last year, he came back at the end of last season, only made three starts, but looked pretty much like himself. And then you Darvish was one of the best pitchers in baseball for basically the last four months. I would rather have all three of those guys than Chris Paddock. I think Chris Paddock's probably going, he, he probably deserves to go in more like the Jose Barrios range, but he's going, you know, nearly 20 picks ahead of him. I have the the only one I disagree with is Darvish because of his age, because of really spotty track record. Uh, he was he was great, I mean, arguably the best pitcher in the game in the second half last year. Though Jack Flaherty would have a claim to that too, and I think it was mostly legit. It was closer to the real version of you Darvish than what we saw the first half and in 2018. But at the same time, I mean, there's there's obviously reason to wonder there, just because it has been so spotty. All right, Heath, yeah, I just think. Full season statistics are generally more predictive. Okay, fine. Do you know? Chris Paddock had a 333 ERA, which looks great, and I feel like everybody's just decided we're going to ignore peripherals with this guy because he had a 333 ERA. But his ERA estimators, you know, 383 FIP, 395 FIP, 405 XFIP, mm-hmm. they all suggest that he was much closer to being a, a Jose Barrios level, really low whip, decent strikeouts, but not at all elite. They we're, were all better than you Darvish's fit. Fine. That's fair. Yeah. I no, I think I would probably take Cindergard over him as well. That's the one that I would agree with you on there. I I may get to a point to where I feel comfortable enough with Severino to do that, but I don't currently. Yeah, I took Cindergard and Severino as my top two starting pitchers in uh in that draft the other day. And Corey Kluber as my number three because I I can be nothing but the most on brand version of myself possible at all but i i think those guys legitimately do have a claim to well maybe not kluber kluber obviously there's a lot he needs to prove but 
Like nobody's going to be surprised if Cindergard or Severino delivers an ace outcome this year. There's just more of those guys who can. So I, sure. I, I don't think you took it to the same extreme you have in the past. I think that could absolutely work out well for you. It's just the most important thing is you need to have multiples of those guys because chances are they're not all going to deliver. Yeah. And th- and that's true of the entire top 25 at starting pitcher. I mean, their injuries are so commonplace at the position that you can't trust that, you know, Max Scherzer or, or Jacob deGrom is going to be healthy for you all season either. You need to have multiples because if you're stuck with waiver wire fodder at that position, it's going to kill you. A lot of old dudes at the start, at the top of the starting pitcher rankings this year. And Heath, let's get a couple more players that you like, some deep outfield sleepers. Let's hear them. Uh, speaking of on brand, brand Ian Happ, of who course. Like kind of figured out some things at the end of last year. And currently it looks like he has a spot in the Cubs lineup. I think they're finally going to give him another chance at being an everyday player. I still believe in the talent. He's He's been one of the most confusing players when it comes to his pitch selection and his strikeout rate and his walk rate over the last three years has been up and down all over the place. But I think he's one of the guys that benefits from being more aggressive. He stopped taking quite so many pitches last year and it worked out for him. And he's available after both of these guys after pick 300. And then I said, I liked all the Mariners. Kyle Lewis has been a prospect for quite some time and he looks like he's going to get an everyday job. Hit a bunch of home runs in very few games last year. I feel like Kyle Lewis is going to get an everyday job until he loses the everyday job because his contact skills are so bad. So very bad. Mariners can just let him play, though. They're not going to win anything this year. Uh, Well, especially, I guess, if they trade Hanniger, they may not have any other choice. But yeah, no, they got they got a couple of really good outfield prospects coming up. And I don't honestly expect Julio Rodriguez, 19 year old, to be ready this year. But there there are some who are speculating he could be. And then, of course, there's Jared Kalenic. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, Lewis does have good power, but he's it was like a 40% strikeout rate in his 18 games last year. And it was like 30% at double A before getting called up. So that's not good either. Um, but there's definite upside there. There's upside for Hap. I think most people listening, their draft's going to end before they have reason to go that far in the outfield rankings. But certainly like the five outfielder rankings, could, I could get behind them as sleepers. The All five right. outfielder leagues, I'm saying. All right, let's get to some emails. Fantasy baseball at CBSI.com is the email. We've got uh, a handful of emails to get through over the last 15, 20 minutes of the show. So let's run through them, starting with Ryan from Sacramento. Wondering if you guys could analyze Josh Lindblom, starting pitcher from Milwaukee as a deep sleeper, just signed for three years, $9.1 million, coming back from Korea with close to 200 innings pitched. Uh, he's a guy who has a high spin rate, weak contact rates. Um, Scott, where do you have Josh Lindblom ranked? Not in the standard mixed league range. Um, I'm always hesitant to buy into these pitchers who had, who we, you know, they were, they were duds over here and then they go overseas and put up stud numbers there and against weaker competition in a very different environment. And especially when they don't have big strikeout rates over there, it was less than one per inning for Lindblom. Now, I I think that's a league-wide trend. The hitters just don't strike out as much over there because it's a different style of play. But even so, I mean, Miles Michaelis came back and was less of a strikeout pitcher than he was there, where he wasn't a big strikeout pitcher. And um, I a lot needs to be proven. I'm I think right now the threshold for being a competent major league starting pitcher is in, in an offensive environment like now where home runs or, you know, pop-ups turn into home runs so easily. And it's like even guys with great skill can just get burned by bad home run luck so easily. Um, I don't think I'm going to have too many deep sleeper starting pitchers just because I think that I, I'm not sure they exist. Uh, Lindblom, I don't think would be one I'd focus on though, if I did. It, it's interesting. And I, I don't remember. I know I've read something on this before. Um, I don't remember how the KBO compares to the Japanese um, league in terms of offensive environment, but his numbers really aren't all that different from what we saw from Miles Michaelis the two years before he came over here or came back here, I suppose. 
Yeah. Um, and if he can be as good as Michaelis has been the past two years combined, like just a high three ZRA guy that's going to pitch deep into games with good control, then that's mm-hmm. certainly has some appeal, especially if you're talking about a, one of our Roto leagues that goes 300 picks. All right, from Henry, I'm doing some way too early draft prep for 12 team standard five by five head to head categories league. He has the eighth pick, the top three in some order. Will be Trout, Acuna, Yelich, Betts, and Bellinger will probably go top five. That's going to be your top five in nearly every draft unless someone wants to take Garrett Cole in that range. Uh, He'll have the pick of two of the following. Francisco Lindor, Garrett Cole, Nolan Arenado, or Alex Bregman. Who should I prioritize out of that group? Is there anybody else I need to consider? Rendon or Soto, maybe. Arenado, I don't think, is going to get drafted in that range. At least not right now. There are... Very real concerns about him being traded. I think there is, uh, right now, I think there's more smoke than there is fire around a potential uh, St. Louis Cardinals trade, but I think people are very worried that Arenado is going to get traded, and it looks like he went 22nd overall in this draft I'm doing, which I almost took him. Uh, coming back at the fifth fifth pick of the second round. I ended up going with Freddie Freeman just because yeah. I feel like even Arenado in course Field is not that much better than Freddie Freeman, whereas if Arenado does get traded, you know, I could see him being well, more yeah, like a 275 like hitter. slipped a lot, too, in that draft. Yeah, ADP he, has Arenado. Composite ADP, uh, NFBC, and a couple other sites has Arenado 10th overall, and that's I think I have him 9th. Yeah. Um, so that's where I see it. He's still my number one third baseman in that format, though he's number three for me in a points league because Bregman and Rendon are both so good with the plate discipline. But um, I yeah, a, a, a trade would force me to reevaluate things, but I don't think there's any reason to assume it right now. Do we agree that Lindor is first of this group? I think so. Not by much, but yeah. Yeah, and, and for me, oh, that's... No, no, I have Cole first. I did. Sorry, I overlooked Garrett Cole. I have Garrett Cole first of that group. Scared, really scared of Garrett Cole. You're really scared of Garrett Cole. What is real? Well, what does really scared of Garrett Cole mean? Are you taking another starting pitcher ahead of him? I don't believe I would take Garrett Cole as the first starting pitcher. No. Oh, who would you take? I think I'd take Degrom. Th- that's interesting because I think Degrom is uh, is. It's hard to say someone's overlooked when they're currently the number two starting pitcher in ADP. And I actually thought he was more like number four. Yeah, uh, he's four for me. That's su- I'm actually surprised that he's going ahead of Verlander and Scherzer, but they both have, they're both ancient. Yeah. They're old. Scherzer coming off an injury. Uh, Verlander playing for a team that may no longer be allowed to cheat. So who knows what that's going to do. <laughs> that's, that's like, that's a good laugh line, but it's 100% true. And a big part of the reason that I'm concerned about Garrett Cole. Well, no, so it's actually, yeah. Like, well, what does, does, why does everybody forget about Charlie Morton when this comes up? He left the Astros and was, I mean, the same pitcher they turned him into. The Rays have a lot of, the Rays have a lot of Silicon Valley venture capitalist bros too. I I could see the, the Rays getting up to some hijinks too. For sure. I'm, Uh, uh, that's not fair. No, (laughs) Charlie Morton's just awesome. Go okay, and Verlander, obvious oh. Hall of Famer. Isn't no, it's him. because he's 37. That's I'm that's not, the yeah, reason. Yeah. I'm worried about Garrett Cole. Yeah. Uh, I, like, I think there are reasons to think that he'll be worse this year than he was last year. He, you, should expect, yeah. you should expect him to be worse. Yeah. That's the but how much worse? He's got a lot of ground to lose, I think. The, like, Verlander, Scherzer, and Cole were far and away. Like, they were distant. That trio was ahead of everybody else. Um. It's just that the two guys are ancient and the one isn't. So I, I go with the one that isn't. But I, I guess if you talk yourself out of those three, then I could see how DeGrom would go ahead of them. But to me, he was just a half step behind them last year. And, um, you know, obviously Scherzer and Verlander have such extensive track records at this point that, you know, I, I would take them over DeGrom. I might take them over, Cole. All right, Luke from Seattle writes in, Go Phillies, Mets suck. This could take an entire show, but can you break down a bit of Otani's value this year and for projections for the future? He's in a CBS Points 
dynasty league, you keep everyone in perpetuity. What's the value of having a bat slash arm guy in a league that heavily favors pitching? That's the thing is pitching is more valuable in a points league, but I'm not sure that applies to Otani. I think he's probably better in a roto league than he is in a points league, assuming that they continue to have to use a six-man rotation, which I think is the assumption moving forward. Yeah, though Joe Madden has been kind of cryptic about his plans for Otani. He's talked about using him as a hitter even on days he's pitching. So I don't I don't really know what to expect from him workload-wise. Obviously, the fact he's coming off from Tommy John surgery, that, that impacts the pitching in too. I really don't know what to expect. I know the upside is huge, and I know... If we're talking a dynasty context, there's going to be a role for him on your team for a long time. Um, but I'm really, really confused about how to approach him for 2020. And I'm kind of just I'm kind of just ranking him in a spot where hopefully I don't have to worry about it because somebody else takes him instead. OK, um, yeah, I, I think he's probably just more valuable in a, in a roto format in general. Daily um, format, I think, is where he's really see yeah. the biggest, the biggest impact from him because then you can get the best of you can get, you can get credit for both the pitching and hitting stats. When weekly formats, you have to choose and commit for that week. If you're in a daily format and you can use him as a hitter and a pitcher, and he stays healthy this year, he's going to be the most valuable player in f- fantasy in that league, right? Um, maybe, maybe that. I just, he, I have no clearly, idea how to calculate that. Because it's that. such an odd role, he, there's clearly a huge difference between his daily and weekly value. And I, I yeah. always focus on weekly on this podcast probably more than I should. But, uh, you know, he probably is worth drafting among the top 15, certainly 20 starting pitchers in a, in a, in a league that sets daily lineups. All right. Colin writes in, would you consider the idea of drafting starting pitcher heavy and committing to streaming hitters based on weekly matchups? So basically the the alternate of what, uh, you know, certainly what I've approached with my hitting and pitching over the last, you know, five years or so that I've been on the podcast. Uh, he's thinking the model would look draft look like drafting four pitchers in the first seven rounds. I think if you're going to commit to that, you probably go even harder because I... I don't think four pitchers in the first seven rounds, that's not going to be something you see a ton of, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see it, you know, maybe once in a, in every 15 team league or something like that. I saw somebody's draft board a couple of days ago on Twitter. I don't remember who it was. And they had started their draft, I believe with eight straight pitchers. (laughs) I LOL'd. And then you sent me the message saying, look for hitters you like. And I went to ADP, and I was like, you know what? That might just be crazy enough to work. There's so many good hitters available mm-hmm. after the first 10 rounds. So I I would have a hard time taking a starting pitcher in the first round if I had a top 7 or 8 pick. Um, but after that, I don't mind this strategy at all this year. There's And I guess we yeah. don't. They know like they could just change the baseball again and it, hitters might not be good anymore, but who knows? Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, it, it seems like the height on the seams based on the study that the results of the study that came out this off season, the height on the seams, the impact it has is like, it, it's such a, such a fraction of a measurement that change in seam height that it's really just it's really just been dismissed as ma- manufacturing variability and i'm not even sure how much of it can be a conscious decision to change the ball or not to change the ball so it's 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 something i don't feel like you can really account for in any possible way and you just have to go forward uh with the results the results we have and uh i'm finding that I feel like I can't go hard. Like I, I try to go deliberately harder for the high end starting pitchers than I have in the past. And I still feel like I could have gone harder when I see what my hitting looks like after the draft. Like particularly if you're talking about a head to head lineup where you just three outfielders, you don't have the middle infield corner and field spots to fill other than maybe second base. 
there's no way you can come like it's it's virtually impossible to come out of a draft of that shallowness and feel like you don't have a quality starting hitter at every spot, you know? So it's you're you're going to see I feel like you're going to get the biggest impact from the big arms. All right. That's going to do it for the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Heath, thanks so much for coming back. It was so good to be here. Did you enjoy you your vacation? I uh, thoroughly enjoyed my vacation. I'm getting ready to take another one. Good, good. Scott, thanks as always. You're a rock. Yeah. You're always here. Unmovable, unshakable. I'm, I'm always here. I'm always here, and I will always be here. It's good. Maybe. That's I don't, very I don't, I'm, I'm stumbling toward the finish line like Adam does. Maybe we should just get out of here. It's, it's better to just pull the plug real quick. I'm Chris Towers. Thanks for listening. Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back next week. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.